Hello and welcome once again to Yester Ladies. I'm Dana. And I'm Heather. And this is the first time I just realized that we're doing this sitting, like, facing each other directly. <laughs> it's uh, slightly disconcerting. Well, hello. <laughs> I'm looking deep into your eyes while we podcast, Dana. It's hello. <laughs> it's very intimate. <laughs> it is. Which... <laughs> I suppose that's appropriate. We both had like a moment of like, <gasps> we just got we why just that's so appropriate. It's <laughs> intimate to be looking into each other's eyes because our topic today is underwear. Underwear, which is the most intimate of objects. Oh, yes. <laughs> that was <laughs> that the creepiest noise you just strange. made. Strange. <laughs> I'm sorry. I won't do that while looking into your eyes. No, not again. <laughs> We're close, but not that not quite that close (laughs) so we're here to give you a brief history of underwear Uh, terrible the the puns keep coming (laughs) oh boy (laughs) all right well heather when does the illustrious history of underwear begin why dana our (laughs) our records of underwear uh begin in ancient egypt so we're going back they 3, always do. BC. <laughs> Everything good starts in ancient Egypt, it yeah. seems. And I'm sure humanity had some form of undergarment before this I don't time, know. But... Were people just wearing, like, animal um, furs? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we'd be wearing underwear under that. I'm sure the Mesopotamians had something True. going you're, on. You're right, um, yes. But the ancient Egyptians were the first to leave records of this. So this is where we kind of pick up the tale, um, even though undergarments probably existed prior to this uh so we're looking at 3000 bc we see our first records some of the earliest evidence uh that people have got stuff going on underneath their clothes (laughs) so um but this really depended on class so higher ranking women were wearing narrow tunics uh but these started under their breasts so breasts were were free and uh it went all the way down to their ankles and then there was one cross strap that went over a shoulder and i think i've seen that in pictures of hieroglyphics before that image oh yeah a woman with her breasts exposed and she's got sort of this like between the breasts that comes diagonally down yeah yep yep so that should be pretty familiar if if you our listener have seen um, hieroglyphics uh, you may have seen that before so higher ranking women would wear that but uh slaves or servants just had simple loincloths or nothing at all so they were a little freer uh maybe not by choice Um, (laughs) well that's interesting freer in terms of underwear not free in terms of life freedom (laughs) yeah (laughs) yes yes exactly um and we do see a few other um examples from ancient civilizations of different styles of underwear so uh, the egyptian style was not universal um around the same time uh there's a babylonian terracotta figure of a girl wearing something that looks kind of like modern briefs (laughs) so she has some kind of shorts happening um and 2000 bc there's a crete um again terracotta figurine of a girl uh and she's wearing sort of corset like bodice and something that resembles a crinoline oh so yeah so we don't see um fashions like those coming into play until far later, far later yeah. yes um so there's a speculation about whether these are like the earliest examples of of a prototype corset or a prototype crinoline so Interesting. some debate there yes hmm absolutely um, okay, so then we move a little uh, more recently. So in classical Greece, we have lots of examples um, of undergarments on pottery and mosaics and things. Um, and sometimes women would wear a cross band over their shoulders and across their breasts. So um, sometimes depictions of women as um, archers or hunters would have that kind of like crisscross style hmm. to sort of hold things in. I was going to say, I mean, <laughs> yes. for support, for comfort, I would imagine that would... Uh 
<laughs> practical. <laughs> sense. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think if you're in these sort of athletic pursuits right. of hunting. Or well, it archery. reminds me of the, um, I mean, we were talking about, we were talking about this in the bikini episode, really those ancient bikinis that were like just a band across the breast and then those kind of briefs. So I suppose it depends on how you looked at it. It could either be seen as like <laughs> the first bikini or like the first kind of modern ish looking underwear bra and, yes. uh, and, panties <laughs> absolutely absolutely and uh yeah and that comes up later in the roman section too right. we see them um so besides a crisscross style um they think that most women were wearing um a linen breastband um and then they also had linen bands that they would wrap around their waist so this was more for waist control rather than bust control and that was called kind of a, like a very primitive corset yes exactly so just bind yourself with strips of cloth rather than have like some kind of constructed piece that would work for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was called a zone or zone. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but it's we'll spelled... have to get some ancient uh, <laughs> Greek. Greek people writing <laughs> in to tell us. Yeah. Yes, please, please do. <laughs> so I'm going to go with zone, <laughs> but it's just spelled zone. Okay. So if you put on your zone, you were wrapping your waist with um, linen bands to keep it under control. Um, so it was a lot of just like wrapping tight strips of fabric. Uh, so you're kind of mummifying various body parts. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, so then the Romans, um, had very similar styles to the Greek, uh, because they were coming so close after and, and quite overlapping quite a bit. Um, but like you brought up that mosaic. So that was 400 AD. We see several women wearing very bikini like, uh, <laughs> bandeau tops and what basically looked like bikini bottoms, like bikini cut underwear bottoms mm-hmm. um so uh, you know there's a little sort of movement there we see some under like um some bottoms right. coming into play because throughout most of this history women are not wearing a lot on the bottom um, no it yeah. was more about your waist having the right shape and your mm-hmm. breasts being either emphasized or de-emphasized. C- controlled yes yep. de-emphasized. Controlled, yeah. um but for a lo- so much of history women just didn't wear anything yeah. underneath skirts right so right uh, uh moving on from the romans to the medieval um at this point women still not wearing a whole lot on the bottom all the time um but there were sort of longer line um, mm-hmm. underwear coming into play. So linen clothing being worn underneath um, heavier or more expensive outer clothing. So you well, wear a shift or a chemise. Right. And yeah, from my understanding, that's the first time that word kind of is used, mm-hmm. chemise. Mm-hmm. Um, or yeah, shift, same yep. thing. And I liked the explanation for this. As you mentioned, people were wearing them under like heavier um, fabrics and mm-hmm. outer clothing. And because people tended to have much i mean i feel like this is actually true right up until like our 20th century and even like i don't know second half of the 20th century Mm. um people just did not have the amount of clothes that we all tend to have now and partly expense um i think clothing was just more expensive in general there were more layers there was more to it it wasn't mass produced the way it is now Mm. um and then just in terms of um the expense and the time required to wash things as well so you would have fewer suits of clothes um, that you would have to wear much more frequently. So it just made sense to have these shifts and chemises and undergarments to kind of soak up, you know, body uh, oils and sweat so that you could more easily wash that stuff and, and wear the outer clothes more often. I thought mm-hmm. that was kind of a cool explanation for the first kind of shift <laughs> chemise petticoat-ish yeah. kinds yeah. of things that people were wearing. Absolutely. And they also mentioned that it helped protect the nicer outer clothing from the body oils like you mentioned but because people were also 
showering or bathing well not showering at all but bathing far far less so mm-hmm. because personal hygiene was primitive <laughs> not up uh, to our standards <laughs> it was it was almost like the um linen undergarments were protecting the clothing from the person right kind yeah. Of yeah yeah which is yeah. a funny way to think of it yeah um and little segue into modernity um if you're a fan of astronaut canadian astronaut chris hadfield mm. he talked about how in space they have like their jumpsuits but then they're always wearing sort of just cotton like t-shirts and maybe little shorts underneath right and he said um, you would have to change out the under layer much more frequently than you would change your outer um, bit like space jumpsuit, jumpsuit yeah. because the under cotton layers would absorb sweat and right. body oils and that. And he yeah. said, you were really getting grungy when all your like whites had, <laughs> had gotten dirty because you can't launder anything in the yeah, international space yeah. station. So uh, it was almost like the modern equivalent of that yeah. idea. Well, no, isn't that interesting? The like the pinnacle of human advancement <laughs> upon the international space station yeah. and in terms of clothing, they're kind of right back to a much more <laughs> like a medieval, a medieval style. But that's because, a mind bender. <laughs> well, that's your thought for the day. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, they're brought back to a situation where washing is again like extremely right. laborious and and not as common. So yeah. I think that's like the the binding oh, element isn't there. Isn't that cool? Look at oh humanity. Oh, it's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yep. Um, and what else? And for warmth as well. So if you're, you know, in oh, medieval yes, Europe, yeah. things are pretty cold. So an extra layer of clothing underneath is helpful. Well, helpful. and um, just wanted to point out too, as you're saying, like throughout this period, um, kind of after we're, we're seeing the Romans, Roman women, maybe some of them at least wearing those underwear, like modern underwear type mm. things. Um, that just, just really didn't happen again until very, very recently in human history. Um, and it wasn't, really necessary for women we we think that's so odd women wearing skirts but right up until we'll get into this into the regency period um dresses were so heavy there were so many layers that you you really you didn't need anything underneath that it's not like a strong gust of wind was gonna come along (laughs) and blow up your brocade skirt (laughs) and you know you know and for practicality in terms of using the washroom it Mm. kind of helped to not have something between the legs absolutely yeah absolutely um so what else do we see in the medieval period what's going on um so the chemise or smock that we've already described sort of linen shift piece um starts showing up around the fourth century and then there's a huge jump forward and we don't see what we typically kind of think of as medieval or or late medieval um the corset Mm. showing up until closer to the 16th century although there are prototypes as early as the 12th century so it is kind of cropping up making appearances um throughout but um um, but at this point both men and women are using tight undergarments of many types so even if you're not using a a full-on corset as we think of it today um people are still squeezing (laughs) different body parts into various shapes (laughs) and contortions uh to form pleasing um silhouettes um all the fashions of the day yes and uh so one of our favorite i think articles that we came across during our research was an article talking about um an archaeological find in mm. an Austrian castle. So this is um, Lengberg Castle in Austria. And uh, they found a 15th century stash of underwear. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, they were like renovating um, the castle. I think it was 2008. And they, they pulled up the flooring in one of these upper rooms and found this like sort of garbage stash. And people just like heaped a whole bunch of crappy old underwear. <laughs> like 500 years, somebody is going to like 
I don't know, go through some rubble and open up my underwear drawer. <laughs> and be like, ah, a stash like, of tw- early 21st century women's <laughs> undergarments. <laughs> what, what can we pull from this wonderful find? <laughs> um, and delightfully and also sort of horrifyingly, um, they, in, in contemporary literature of this time, they were referred to as breast bags. Yeah. So they were finding bra-like garments in this underwear heap. And, uh, the breast bags. Yes, medieval writers were referring to them as breast bags. So I have a wonderful quote of how breast bags were used. This so, is a good one. Um, this is from a Southern German author. He His name has not survived, but his quote has. Um, and he was writing this sort of satirical poem um, about the breast bag. And uh, he says, he writes, quote, Many a woman makes two breast bags. With them she roams the street so that all the young men that look at her can see her beautiful breasts. But whose breasts are too large makes tight pouches so there is no gossip in the city about her big breasts. <laughs> so apparently just having big breasts was like was made you issue. a hussy. <laughs> yes. So so they're pointing out that it could go either way. Some women are using these breast bags to show off their headsets and others are making them really tight to kind of squeeze them down and make them less conspicuous. The way he describes it, it's like were these women just like roaming the streets just in their breast bags and nothing else? Breast like, bags alone are all they need. Again, very modern. I like that they're roaming in the yes, streets roaming. too. That's my yeah. favorite part. I shall go now and roam the streets wearing a breast bag. Oh. Um, but what I thought was neat is that the, especially one of the uh, bras, bras in quotes that they showed, um, looks very similar to, to mm-hmm. a modern It does, brazier. yeah. With cups. And, yes, cups yeah. and straps. And yeah. like it, it's all the same sort of architecture that you would expect from a, a modern bra. Kind of look like uh, a ratty training bra. Yes, exactly. Like a, yes. <laughs> Just <laughs> left out to, like a dog chewed up yeah. your, you know, 11-year-old daughter's <laughs> training bra <laughs> and then left it to rot for a while and this is what you end up with. <laughs> so we'll link to that article so you can check it out as well. It's pretty neat if you're if you're um, an archaeology fan at all. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right, so we move on, thank goodness, from breast bags <laughs> into the Elizabethan era. So we're talking mid to late 1500s, um, and all of a sudden, these these new and sort of extraordinary creations start hitting the scene, um, and skirts and skirt shapes starts taking precedence um, where we hadn't seen this before. So uh, something called the farthingale starts I coming I love into that play. word. I want to name like a child or a bird, <laughs> a farthingale. Maybe a bird. A bird. <laughs> like nightingale. Please don't name your child My new child, farthingale. <laughs> well, by the time this is released the child will have arrived so <laughs> perhaps farthingale my poor daughter <laughs> my poor daughter farthingale i like that it's, it's a feminine name <laughs> it certainly is i suppose so <laughs> maybe it will be a middle name <laughs> see if if rob goes for that <laughs> <laughs> or maybe a book character it could be like so and so farthingale yeah it sounds dickensian <laughs> it does <laughs> um so these were basically uh, the precursor to the hoop skirt um, and they made your skirts enormous. And I like that even in the research articles we found, they were describing it as like enormous. <laughs> like they were just so well, huge. They were the ones that were kind of more like um, wider than they were deep. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like they were kind of flattened. They weren't like a round right. uh, hoop skirt the way yes. later, right? Yes. It was more right elliptical, elliptical than, than circular. Right. Oh, yes. Right. Um, absolutely. And they pointed out how the front had to be kind of flat because 
there would be this big sort of like bony protruding point coming down from the corset which mm-hmm. was um very elizabethan and so the front had to be flat to accommodate that um and it's so quite a look it's it's when very distinctive it. yeah yes. <laughs> when you see you know images or movies or whatever from yes. that era and it there's really been nothing else quite like it <laughs> yes <laughs> before or since and there are a lot of portraits of queen elizabeth the first wearing mm-hmm. farthingales and full-on corsets yeah at this time absolutely yeah. yes so uh we see now these skirts coming into play and people really shaping other areas um one of my favorites is called the bum roll <laughs> which is just fun to say um, and they described it as just basically a sausage of fabric and you would tie it around your waist and it would hold your skirts out as well so maybe if you couldn't afford or didn't want to rock the full farthingale uh you could do the bum roll Make do with a bum yes roll. and then that would kind of hold things out for you so perhaps elizabeth's maids were wearing bum roll. which makes me think of bustles in in the victorian era as well yeah Yeah. um and uh of course the corset really comes into play here as well as we've already mentioned um and some of the articles were talking about how this was the most controversial garment ever (laughs) question mark (laughs) in in women's undergarments um and so it started with women wearing just cloth bodices Mm -hmm. so they didn't have any sort of rigidness to them but they would um, pull them extremely tight to kind of shape their waist and then ladies i don't know wised up or wised down (laughs) and started putting um rigid whalebone inserts into the cloth so that really kind of um, held you upright and those are called stays as you might be aware um and let me tell you as someone who has gotten married wearing one of those <laughs> you stay like you are not going anywhere, <laughs> anywhere yes yeah. <laughs> and it's great because at the end of a long day instead of drooping like you still you upright. are you're very upright <laughs> and there's no drooping allowed yeah so. i've i've seen i don't know probably in special features in various movies mm-hmm. actresses talking about wearing those costumes for period pieces and saying how it, it really is so important to them to to wear the appropriate clothes and to actually wear the corset and wear what like everything down to your skivvies you yeah. know what would have been period appropriate because it really does just make you um sit differently mm-hmm. and, and hold yourself differently mm-hmm. because you yeah you, you kind of you can't slump the way no, not at all <laughs> the way we all tend to do yes. um in a corset that's really impossible so <laughs> your posture is very dictated yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah yeah you also can't bend over very well no. so like reaching the ground is sometimes problematic <laughs> it's you think about just how um immobilized mm-hmm. women were by their underwear for so much of that <laughs> period yes. <laughs> yes and this is kind of where the controversial comes into because one of the articles was talking about um you know this could be sort of um empowering and and sexy and women are showing off like the their fertile curves and this sort of we, thing we think of that now right like when women choose to wear corsets right. for for fun and profit yes <laughs> but, <laughs> fun and profit. but um at it the time really a choice yes. that you had it could be very constricting and it yeah. could be sort of physically constricting, but socially constricting mm-hmm. as well. And so, well, was, I mean, yeah, you think about like, okay, so maybe once in a while, you know, somebody might put on a corset for whatever reason today and yeah, find it empowering, find mm-hmm. it sexy, enjoy wearing it, whatever. But, um, that's not a, a social norm that is expected of every woman <laughs> right. at all times, every single day, you know, right. for all of your adult life. Um, yeah. 
in order to maintain respectability exactly yeah yeah yeah, absolutely so it's not tied to morality (laughs) quite the same way no it would have been yes absolutely (laughs) yeah if it were a daily recommendation I'm sure I would not enjoy corsets nearly as much as I do (laughs) yes (laughs) I always think about sorry this is a little bit of a a leap ahead but I mean this was still in the period where like you know women had to wear corsets but that there's a a number of passages I think in the um, Laura Ingalls books Mm. Little House on the Prairie books where as she gets to be a teenager and she has to wear a corset and that's what's expected of her. But she she writes about how much she hated it mm. and just how uncomfortable it was and um how her sister and her mother would like as a I guess apparently a really proper lady would do, you were supposed to wear it to bed. Oh god. As well. Yeah, and Laura just could not abide doing that. She had to take <laughs> it off before bed, which is like, yeah. Don't blame her at all. I get that. <laughs> <laughs> but she just yeah, she she wrote about how how much oh, she hated god. it and she kind of wore it under protest because it was she had to to be yeah. a respectable right. woman. Right. Um but yeah. I can't imagine how much you would sweat oh. in bed wearing a corset. Oh, oh it's just so the worst thing. I, yeah, it really is. I mean, I, I don't know because some women, I know some women like to wear a bra to bed, oh, and even no that, I, oh, Boo. good lord, Boo. it's like my favorite moment of the day <laughs> yes. every every evening <laughs> to take Such it off. It's so it feels so good. <laughs> It does. It's just the best feeling. And it's it's not like it's painful to put it on in the morning. No, but it just I don't know, it's it's just so comfortable to take it off. It's so wonderful to take it off. To release. And every woman who is listening knows exactly what we're talking about. You know what we mean. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So moving forward from the Elizabethans, um, we get into kind of an interesting little divot in in underwear history. <laughs> a divot. Uh, the French Revolution. And of mm. course, the French are just <laughs> messing is, things up right and left. It's right? an interesting divot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, um, so during the French Revolution, um, French women started rejecting a whole bunch of traditional um, women's undergarments, uh, petticoats, corsets, etc. They were discarded. Mm-hmm. Um, Associated as, with the aristocracy. Yes, as symbols of the aristocracy, exactly. Um, and women started adopting what they considered more democratic and sort of Grecian um, styles. So they would like wrap bands uh, of fabric um, around themselves. And this is also when the sort of typical Regency style dress that we know comes in with the really slim, high waisted dresses, much um, thinner, much thinner fabrics. Yes, um, like flowing muslins and that sort of thing. Um, and they echoed Grecian styles of clothing. So this was seen as sort of a patriotic and uh, and uh, way to revolt even in fashion against what had come before mm-hmm. and uh and then the victorians i love this completely Kinda. rejected all of that yeah. <laughs> they were basically like those reaction. crazy french yeah. silly french people the french re- revolution was a reaction and then yes the victorian then era was a reaction counter reaction yeah yes. <laughs> as history tends to go <laughs> yes. um but we should we should actually point out too that the regency era was when we first saw um pantaloons or mm. bloomers or kind of knickerbockers or whatever <laughs> you know you tend to think of them and which of course were kind of the precursor to women's modern underwear mm-hmm. like as in terms of um uh, panties right. um and of course they were they were long they were like little kind of probably below the knee or just above the knee little pants um but they were necessary with the regency dresses because they were higher waisted flimsier mm. uh fewer layers um just you know, thin, light fabrics like muslin and uh, linen. And so it became more of a necessity to have something on (laughs) under that, these bifurcated little 
undergarments mm. because at this point a stiff breeze could perhaps <laughs> you know ruin your day <laughs> if you didn't have something on under it and uh, we should also point out so this was when kind of the first underwear mm. started appearing but at this point it was it tended to be uh, split um, in the middle and that that lasted right up kind of to the modern period as long as women were still wearing these long skirts uh because once again that facilitated going to the bathroom mm. um, yes. this makes sense yeah yes and you've used a word there um bifurcated mm-hmm. that has an interesting history oh, i don't I know if that word. you're gonna get into it no no a bit. okay go ahead but um uh that became a huge sort of feature in the victorian era um of having like two pant legs on a, a piece of woman's clothing rather than just one sort of big round skirt like one tube that she would be in <laughs> um so to be to uh i remember seeing examples of victorian pornography and it was the bifurcated woman and so it was pictures of women like like almost completely covered <laughs> but wearing these long pantaloons and just the fact that they had a divide between their legs was, was like sensual hugely enough. erotic yes and it was like women sort of like i don't know just flouncing around like their in legs pants. in wide <laughs> widespread positions or like two young ladies lounging against each other and like clearly their legs are apart shock so um it's for pornography yeah victorian <laughs> victorians are just so repressed so if you want a good laugh look up victorian bifurcated women maybe not victorian pornography well that would that would be very well, interesting be safe, as well I yes mean, you'd probably be safe don't want to recommend that for work but you're probably okay yes. yeah so depending on what you want in your search history yeah um, but if you look up yes victorian bifurcated women it's really a, a good laugh if you're a history buff <laughs> Uh, okay, so moving properly into the Victorian era now, uh, as we said, they rejected the silly French. <laughs> ah, these, these fashions are are associated with discord and promiscuity. And Napoleon. Ah, that guy. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> as we know, Victorians wanted to avoid all discord and promiscuity. Yeah. So um, corsets surged back into fashion and, and very modest um, fashions. And uh, it was a return well, to an earlier style and we point as you already mentioned um what they were using as the stays in corsets mm. was generally primarily whalebone mm-hmm. and um during the victorian period in the you know in the 19th century the baleen whale was hunted nearly to extinction mm-hmm. um partially and probably largely actually i mean i think you know oil and blubber and like all that stuff was was very useful as well oil lamps that kind of thing but one of the big things was whalebone uh, for all of these corsets because they were so extremely popular again and every woman had to wear one. Uh, so thankfully they did not kill all of the baleen whales, but they Poor killed whales. most of them. So, uh, yeah, go, uh, <laughs> go fashion. Go fashion. <laughs> I just feel like humanity is so terrible when I, I hear know. about fashion trends that either wipe out or almost wipe out a particular species. Like, what is going on? priorities just exactly like come on now (laughs) poor bailing whale i know it's terrible women can have hourglass figures (laughs) awful. (laughs) oh gosh so um in the victorian era as you mentioned heather um uh this reaction against the flimsiness of the french revolution uh fashion and the regency era and all this and we got once again all of these layers and just to point out 
um, an example, and now not every outfit that you wore would necessarily be exactly this in exactly this order, but this was pretty typical for like um, kind of a day, day wear. Um, so you would start with stockings and then you would add your garters to keep your stockings up and then bloomers uh, over top and then a chemise, you know, kind of that thin underneath petticoat kind of a thing then your corset. So that's actually, that's one thing one of the articles we were reading pointed out that uh, what a lot of um, period romance novel writers <laughs> right now don't always understand is that you wouldn't have worn your corset over bare skin. You see mm. images like that on lots of covers <laughs> in the grocery store. Um, but that is just not what they, they, and I mean, you think about it, it's not really comfortable long-term every day. Yes. You would have something, you know, linen probably uh, or muslin underneath your corset to kind of protect your skin against the, you know, stiff uh, corset. So, okay, your chemise and then your corset and then your large crinoline or hoop skirt, depending on what that year was kind of particularly in fashion. Mm. Then your petticoat because you would probably wear more than one, oh boy. which is just the height of Victorian <laughs> repression, I think. And then you get to your outerwear. So then you would put on a blouse, a skirt, probably a vest, and then a jacket. And then you're ready to go. <laughs> this is why you needed a maid servant. This ex- well, exactly. And I mean, that's, that is a large part of, you know, the history of women's fashion right up until pretty recently especially upper class women obviously who were wearing more layers and just wearing more you had to you had to have somebody else help you get dressed and um it kind of took uh feminism and um suffrage and all of that stuff for this more independent thinking even (laughs) and that trickles down to fashion so now we Mm. all wear things that we can put on without help (laughs) most of the time in our (laughs) lives um but right up until again pretty recently that wasn't that wasn't how clothes were done. <laughs> mm. And especially if you changed multiple times per day, right? Oh my I mean, gosh. You might yeah. Have a morning dress and mm-hmm. then you might have a an visiting dress, yes, visiting dress and then you might have an evening dress yep. for dinner and God, you would be somebody... busy. Yes, they were. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> so, um, we should also mention that. So as I mentioned at this point, uh, pantaloons, uh, and all through the Victorian period as well, again, pantaloons, bloomers, that mm. was the thing that everyone was wearing. They could also be referred to as knickerbockers. <laughs> and I guess <laughs> the term is, uh, you might be familiar, kind of a Yankee American, uh, term, uh, New York era, I believe, or uh, area. Um, and knickerbockers, I guess, were first developed more for men's sports. So kind of these looser, pantaloon type things that kind of um you would wear wear socks over them up to the knee and they were kind of these looser things and i guess uh after 1820 um women would start kind of borrowing them i guess to wear (laughs) under their hoop skirts because again i guess up until kind of hoop skirts came along if you were wearing layers and layers of petticoats and heavy Mm. dresses you wouldn't necessarily need bloomers or something underneath but if you were wearing a hoop skirt and you <laughs> fell over <laughs> you're you know again or a str- that strong gust of wind yes. once again yes uh you do kind of need something underneath there <laughs> for modesty reasons oh and also i read apparently um can can dancers in mm. paris uh helped to bring in um underwear that wasn't split at the crotch oh. because you know they were dancing with their skirts up yes you know and you could see their bloomers and so i guess maybe they would start 
sewing the crotch shut so <laughs> the gentleman couldn't see everything. It wasn't quite that risque of a no. show. It was a risque show for its time, but not, not quite that, that risque. risque. Yes. And another fact I'd like to add about the hoop skirts is that um, I was on tour in some um, sort of Southern American um, uh, homes. Uh, what am I trying to say here? Like plantation homes. Mm, there you go. And uh, they talked about how the men's smoking rooms where the men would adjourn after dinner um, purposely had very narrow doors so that the women wearing hoop skirts couldn't get in. So they were literally <laughs> barred access to these masculine domains uh, by their undergarments. That's gross. And, yeah, I know. <laughs> and, and it was like, well, if you had to get in, you could flip your hoop skirt, but oh. no lady would ever do that. So you could, the best you could do is just sort of like bump, Stand in the bump up against the doorway, <laughs> like on the other side. Boys, hi, hi. boys. Man, what are you doing in there? <laughs> so, I want to play billiards. <laughs> no billiards or cigars. No billiards for you. For you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so literally the women couldn't get in, and and of course there were much more generously sized doors leading into all the other rooms where the women were allowed to go, but oh. they would have these tall, narrow doors. Oh, patriarchy! Can get in. I know. <laughs> I was like, "What? Even the architecture is against us." Underwear so, and architecture fighting against fighting us. against. Good ladies. lord, that is just. Yep. That's just that's oh. ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so angering. <laughs> so, um, kind of another factor. It sounds like there were kind of a number of factors that led to bloomers, pantaloons, what eventually became panties, becoming more of a thing, including Queen Victoria's ideas of decency. Um, <laughs> pretty harsh. She, yeah, she was all about the layers and the decency. So I think because of her influence was why you got, you know, multiple petticoats on top of like your chemise and your bloomers and your crinoline and good grief, all that stuff. I just, oh, it just sounds exhausting. And it sounds so hot. And hot. Yes. I can't imagine. In an era with no air conditioning. <laughs> yes. Yeah, in winter, I'm all for multiple sure. petticoats. Yeah. But in summer, it would just be horrible. Ugh. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, one also, though, a little fact. I kind of love this. So, Victoria, Queen Victoria, you know, we think of her as this very prudish mm. woman who influenced the fashions of the day to such an extent that everyone was, like, wearing these insane layers and just all laced in and, you know, very repressed, as you <laughs> mentioned. Um, but... Uh, Victoria's Secret, I can't believe this has never occurred to me or never, I never thought to wonder. I guess I just always assumed Victoria's Secret was named after some woman who founded it. Yeah. No, it was named for like the Victorian era and like Queen Victoria. I know. That's awesome. That is awesome. (laughs) Makes me like them more just to know that. I guess because now we kind of do associate Victorian underwear with Mm. a sensual, sensual kind of a thing. The idea of Mm. corsets and stockings and garters and all of that thing is is now, you know, for the bodice rippers and all (laughs) that kind of thing. It's very, it's seen as very sexy. So Ah. I guess that's where the idea came from. But right? Learn something new every day. I know. That's crazy. So that's a little jump forward. But so during Queen Victoria's reign, as I say, all of this was becoming, by 1901, only the poorest women went without underwear only because they couldn't afford it. Mm. Uh, so you were loose if you <laughs> if you weren't wearing <laughs> pantaloons at this point. Um and then also we should point out that this was a – the Victorian era was an era of very decorated underwear as mm. well. Lots of embroidery and um, lace and, you know, it became fancy and fancy and fancy. <laughs> it was the thing to do to have fancy underwear by that point. <laughs> so we can thank the Victorians, I guess, for our 
I think often unnecessarily fancy mm. daily underwear, but yes. that's just me and my practicality. <laughs> <sighs> Nude bras Nude for me. Nude bras for all. <laughs> Nude bras for all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I fun side note to that. Okay. I was just trying out nursing bras. This is probably too much info for a podcast. <laughs> no, I, we're talking but about underwear here, Heather. I, nursing, I, I nursing made bras. the sales girl, I sent back everything she brought me that was pink or lacy or had bows on it. I was like, are you serious? I'm going to be feeding my child with this no bows. item of clothing. <laughs> like, I'm not looking to impress anyone at this point. I was like, get these pink frilly things out of here. I basically, I literally at one point was like, nothing pink. Don't bring me anything pink anymore. But yeah, there were like lace and bows all over. I'm Even Nursing bras. Nursing bras. I mean, I mean to each on. her own, though, right? I mean, I, I sure, do. Sure. I understand and respect and get some women saying that they just like to, you know, the idea of having colorful or fun or sure. sexy yes. underwear yes. gives them a lift throughout the day or whatever. Yes. Me, I don't really get it because I, I, I tend to forget what I've got on I'm, as soon yes. as I cover it. Yes. So, <laughs> Agreed. Um, it just doesn't, it seems wasted and yes. it just seems so much more practical to get <laughs> stuff that isn't going to show through yes. whatever I'm wearing. Exactly. But yeah, especially for something so utilitarian as a nursing bra. Right. Right. <laughs> I have a particular issue with bows, bows on underwear. Yes. Why is well. that? You? It's like you cannot buy a bra without a tiny bow. Or a rhinestone. Or a rhinestone. Right in the Ooh, I want a sparkle right there. <sighs> no. Oh, <laughs> Yes. No more tiny bows. I'm not a tiny doll. I don't want a tiny bow. And it doesn't do up anything. No. It's just a decorative bow. Oh, and it's so, I don't know. I, bows, I have a thing about bows in general, actually. I find them childish. I was going to say. My apologies seems, to anyone who loves bows, but I don't like them. infantilizing. Yes. <laughs> infantilizing. That. Yes. That is the word. I love that word. <laughs> I use that word describing shower games as well, as you well know, Heather. They are infantilizing. They're infantilizing. It's about infants and infantilizing. It's terrible. It's awful. Oh, gosh. What a tangent. But... I allowed no shower games. Just no. Yes. For listeners. And we all appreciated that. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> No games. You're welcome. No bows. No bows. All right. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So we've gotten to about the 20th century here. And, of course, as with all fashion at this point, um, things become smaller and slimmer and things start happening in terms of women rejecting corsets. Um, so it does kind of take – I mean, you could argue that corsets are kind of, in a practical sense, still around in – what we consider now like shapewear mm. and through much of the 20th century women were still wearing girdles mm -hmm. uh, which were basically modern corsets uh, perhaps a little less restrictive but um the same principle and so my mom was talking recently about even like i guess you got to a certain age and it was just you now wore a girdle like she remembers oh. being like I don't know, 12 or 13 or something. And, um, she's, you know, this skinny little thing, uh, with no real figure at this point <laughs> to speak of. And certainly nothing that she or anyone else wanted to have held in, but mm. her, her mother bought her a girdle. Oh and God. She wore, I don't know if, I don't, I, I hope she wasn't wearing it like every day to school, that kind oh. of thing. But she remembers being bought a girdle and that was just what you did i guess so oh dear. so unnecessary <laughs> i mean it's not necessary unless somebody chooses to wear it of course sure but um yeah so again oh. of course it's kind of and i mean you know now we wear spanks and things some mm -hmm. of us at yes. some times yes um which you know modern shapewear is kind of the modern equivalent, equivalent. right yes. much more comfortable yeah thankfully well yes 
Yes. Not so many laces. <laughs> yes. No more animal laces. bones. Yeah. No more, no more whales about mm-hmm. to be extinct. Thank <laughs> <laughs> goodness. Yeah. Okay. So once we get into the 20th century, um, you might wonder, when did the modern bra come along? Well, uh, hypothetical questioner. When did it, Dana? <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> hypothetical no longer. <laughs> um, there's there's argument about who developed the first modern bra. And I guess uh, arguments can be made for a number of different people. But the first person who actually patented a modern brassiere was a woman, I was glad to read, uh, named Mary Phelps Jacobs, who in 1914 uh, got a patent for this this thing. That, and I mean, the word brassiere actually had been around uh, before then, I think describing it kind of, it's confusing. I looked up the kind of the origin of it. It's like a French word that has something to do with arms and like, I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but that word had kind of been around to describe certain other garments, but it sounds like at this point it was kind of adopted to describe this particular garment. And I, I love this detail that, so Mary Phelps Jacobs, good on her for, you know, <laughs> taking out the patent, but um, she didn't, so this creation herself she had her maid so, <laughs> she didn't come up with the idea but like she had her maid do the actual work of sewing together two handkerchiefs with some ribbon <laughs> nice <laughs> to create uh something that obviously would have been much more comfortable than mm. a corset mm-hmm. um and uh again that kind of makes me think of that kind of you know little training bra mm-hmm. kind yep. of a thing um so and then so she comes up with this patent in 1914, and then uh, she ends up selling the patent to the Warner Brothers Corset Company. <laughs> I love that name. I don't know. Oh. I didn't. I didn't check into whether that is related to movies. The, yeah, undergarments. <laughs> the Warner Brothers Corset Co. And she sold it for fifteen thousand dollars, which I think that sounds like it's probably pretty good in 1914. Mm. Um, and you can see why. I mean, these people had the foresight to buy this patent because by like 1917 bras were in like wide use they become popular pretty quickly Hmm. um and i imagine it would depend on the circumstances right i mean i think some women were still wearing corsets kind of in the early 20th century around world war one um i would think though once you get into the 20s and flappers they're It's all about, again, kind of like the French Revolution. You're back to less is more and shorter skirts and, um, you know, bare arms. Mm. And so straight silhouettes. And yeah, straight silhouettes. Yeah. And so perhaps bras. Although they were actually, a lot of them were still wearing corsets or girdles at yes. the very least. Yes. So I think perhaps this is the era when we start seeing a bra with a kind of girdle thing underneath it. Mm-hmm. And then your whatever underwear you were wearing. Right. Um, below that i remember the cast of downton abbey discussing how ah. their costumes changed as the show oh, carries yeah. through the eras or the decades and um prior to the 20s they were all wearing full-on corsets with dresses meant to be worn that way and then they said when you get to sort of the, the 20s um they were all excited because they could get that that like much looser waisted um silhouette and so they mm-hmm. thought it meant that they wouldn't have to wear corsets anymore <laughs> but there were just corsets made to go under those dresses yeah. and they were like wait but what <laughs> so they had to keep filming wearing corsets. full corsets underneath these loose dresses and they were like what's the point of this <laughs> but, and the shape of the corsets would have it would have been very different yeah. yeah it wasn't trying to achieve an hourglass anymore yeah, yeah. so uh, it sounds like kind of during this period you had these things kind of coexisting yes. um but what kind of really cemented 
bras and kind of did away with more traditional corsets was World War II when wartime shortages of fabrics and steel Mm. um, meant that governments, the U.S. government in particular, was actually, you know, putting out information, (laughs) encouraging women to go with bras rather than corsets because Mm. it meant less material and i read something i don't i did not look into you know how accurate this was but i love the idea i hope it's true that apparently um the american people or american women saved so much steel and not buying corsets that they were able to build two battleships (laughs) out of the steel saved from corsets which i question the veracity of that but it's kind of a great detail and i hope it's true you should name them something really like the ss bustier or something and there's two of them so that's great <laughs> yeah um so uh we kind of move ahead and once we get into the 20th century really and you get the bra and the the uh kind of our modern underwear and we should point out uh, uh, as hemlines were heading more and more northward um that meant of course that like bloomers obviously were getting shorter and shorter mm-hmm. so by the 20s you were getting um you know what we think of as uh, the kind of little french knickers though um my mom always calls them um like little tap shorts <laughs> it was just cute you know the flimsy little kind of flowy shorts so that was often what you would wear i guess maybe over your corset underneath your dress or whatever mm-hmm. and then of course eventually uh, panties started getting smaller and smaller and closer fitting and throughout the 20th century that's kind of you know in varying forms things mm. of, and at this point you know we kind of have a mixture you can choose what you want you know whether it's a thong, thong or a bikini boy or short. a boy short <laughs> yeah. or granny panties or whatever <laughs> you prefer um but you know kind of from the early 20th century onward our our styles haven't change that much we have bras and underwear and that's kind of what we wear but um i will point out i did not realize that the push-up bra was actually invented much earlier than i would have guessed okay so when when would you guess that the push-up bra like when do you associate it with i don't know i i wouldn't think of it coming in until like the 60s or the 70s at least right yeah i feel like you so i associate the push-up bra with like the 80s and the 90s yes that's when i would say it's really widespread right um it actually was invented in 1947 which is way earlier than i would have guessed um but that was the point uh, as one of the articles we were reading pointed out that um when bras were invented they kind of it, it was a different shape from a corset because generally a corset would kind of push the breasts together mm. um and perhaps a little bit up and yeah, you know and give you that kind of shape. Them, like, yeah a yeah but well. pushing them together whereas yeah. a bra separates the breasts mm. and so you kind of get that lifted and separated <laughs> um silhouette um and what the push-up bra did was kind of give you the best of both worlds i guess mm. if that's what you were looking for so the more kind of you know pushed up in your face bosom okay. but without having a full-on corset underneath <laughs> all of that so well that's good yeah that's a nice compromise i'm glad to be not wearing a corset when i wear a push-up bra <laughs> yeah yes I agree. (laughs) All right. Well, I I think that's about all I have. As I said, you know, throughout the 20th century into the early 21st century, you know, things haven't really changed that much. The basic shapes. Basic shapes. Yeah. Yeah. The more, I feel like the more interesting stuff is, is in the earlier period. So if you want to know, you know, how underwear has, has changed from, I guess the 
kind of the fifties up till now, you can, you can look that up. And, and a number of the articles that we, we used for this, um, episode do kind of mm-hmm. cover that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just kind of think it gets a little less interesting. Yeah. So, or you could ask your grandma. Oh, yeah, there you go. Your great grandma or your mother, depending on mm-hmm. their ages. And, say, and they will tell you about girdles. How did this all work? <laughs> <laughs> yes, give me your girdle tales. Girdle tales. <laughs> Girdles and garter belts. Oh, dear. That yes. whole thing. So glad we don't have those anymore. I know. Oh, that is maybe one other thing. We, You know, hurrah for the invention of nylons. Yes. Again, a yes. wartime invention. Absolutely. And silk stockings yes. were, uh, um, again, another wartime shortage. So right. That kind of mirrored um, the bikini. Because they, yes, the invented or the invention of very stretchy fabrics right. helped that as well. So Absolutely. that would be kind of the last big watershed moment, I think. Yeah, I would think so. Underwear's history until Spanx, Water. perhaps. Oh dear, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the thong. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> On that note, yes. <laughs> um, I don't have anything more. I don't think. No. You're done. All yes. right. So that's underwear. Ladies underwear. Uh, be thankful, ladies, that you live in the 21st <laughs> century and you can really have your choice as to what you prefer to wear. Yes. And you yes. can wear a corset if you want. Yep. Rock that if you like it. But uh, nobody is forcing you into it. Hooray! Which <laughs> I think we're all appreciative of. I'm just going to keep roaming in my brass bags. Yeah, there you now. go. <laughs> <laughs> and be a hussy. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for listening. Um, um, as ever, you can check out the resources that we've used for this episode. We always post those uh, on our website along with the episode. Um, and if you need to get a hold of us, we would love that. So you can email us at yesterladies at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media. We're on Twitter and our handle is at yesterladies. You can also find us on Facebook uh, at facebook.com slash yesterladies. I think that's all of the ways you can get a hold of us. Oh, and please, um, if you listen on iTunes, we would love to get feedback. So, you know, uh, give us a rate and a a review um, that really helps us. So if you have the time and energy to put into that, (laughs) we would love that. Uh, So until next time, I'm Dana. And I'm Heather. And thank you for listening. Yes, thank you. 